Codependency has to do with an unhealthy attachment to another, traditionally someone who was or is addicted to something. And that's be kind of an addiction too to people. Yeah. And it's when we lose ourselves, but we do learn that in childhood. And then we do the things to get the love and attention, and then we become dependent on them as well. And so that's why it's codependency. And that's when it becomes unhealthy, right? Mm -hmm. Is when we start to lose ourselves to satisfy someone else's needs. Hello, and welcome to the Healing and Dealing Podcast. I am your host, Charlotte, and I am so excited to go on this journey with you. Through a trauma-informed lens, we will navigate healing through conversation and connection while learning tools to embody our transformation and make lasting changes in our lives. We will cover relatable topics and discuss various modalities to put into action and ignite change. This podcast will have incredible guests who will share their story and provide proof that even in the darkest times, there is light waiting for us. If you landed here, it's for a reason. Now, let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Healing and Dealing podcast. I am your host, Charlotte Estrada, and I'm so excited today to have this special conversation with Liz. As a recovering codependent girl, Liz Salemi Abbas talks about her 20 plus years on the family sidelines, living in the shadow of the drug addicted older brother she adored until he OD'd in his 30s. Liz shares how that experience affected how she became someone who needed to fix people to feel worthy. She carried codependency into her marriage and spent the next 20 years trying to fix her husband and manage his issues, ended up with PTSD, and then spent another season working on rediscovering herself. She tries to help people, but now from a healthy, balanced perspective. Love that. Liz leads revision workshops and mentors people on releasing their focus on OPS, other people's stuff. She writes the Finding Freedom newsletter featuring her Dear Ms. Liz advice column and speaks to groups about addiction, codependency, and recovery. She's currently editing her memoir about being the sibling of an addict. Liz earned an MFA from the University of Nevada, Reno, Lake Tahoe in creative nonfiction and is currently doing the 12 steps to keep growing in her own revision. She's thrilled to have found freedom from codependency and loves inspiring others to stop managing other people's lives and start fulfilling their own purpose. That's beautiful. Like, so beautiful. Thank you, Liz, for being here. Oh, I'm glad to be here. It's such yeah. a treat to be able to use, and I know you do this too, use what has happened in our life, right? Our mess to now use it for good. Absolutely. That is literally like my mission statement, turning my mess into a message because, you know, for so many years, we think things are just happening to us and we go through all this trauma and we don't know why. And then all of a sudden this bright light occurred for me anyway. And it was like, oh, I'm supposed to use this to help other people. This was, it's almost a gift, you know, that was given to us to be able to share and, and really like help others through that. So we have so much in common from the big brother that we love and adore being an addict. I do as well, which my listeners, if, if you've listened to my story on first episode, I, I told a little bit of that story, how it started when I was really, really young Mm -hmm. um, with him. So I totally relate in that aspect with you and being a fixer and being codependent. So let's dive into Liz and really what, you know, your journey and, and what led you to this beautiful self rediscovery that you found. 
Yeah, it's actually, it's a long story, right? I wish I could say it happened fast, but I didn't recognize it that I was codependent for years. But yeah, started with my brother. I was about 11 when he started smoking pot, which was what we called it back then. Mm -hmm. And he just had an addictive personality. I think now he probably has ADHD or something, but he was definitely self-medicating. We had a neighbor across the street who was just bad news and got him into a lot of bad stuff early on. And my parents didn't say no enough. We were never grounded. Great parents, Mm -hmm. standard middle-class family. But I think my mom was codependent in the beginning, just trying to keep the peace. Mm -hmm. And so she did that all the time. She ended up later on giving him money, not telling my dad. I mean, it just was this big ugly thing. And so I learned that I learned to fix things, enable. I also learned being the good girl got me love and attention. So becoming a people pleaser, becoming codependent in needing just to be seen in whatever way it was saying yes, because that got me what I needed. So, I mean, I remember when he smoked pot in his bedroom and of course I kept that lie. I was the younger sister. I adored him. But mm-hmm. then there were other episodes when the cops came to the door because he crashed his car down the street and he left it. He was high on quaaludes and he came home and went to bed and the cops come to the door and our parents aren't home. And I basically covered for him and I just did that a lot and mm-hmm. didn't realize it, of course, at the time. Mm-hmm. And he overdosed when he was 36 after years of putting our family through hell, decades, literally, which took its toll on my mom and her health yeah. and, and my dad. I mean, they've all died now. And I actually think a lot of it is a result of that, of the addiction, just dominating our household and our health and everyone's, I mean, anyone who's lived with an addict knows what it's like. Absolutely. Have your world in turmoil all the time. He died, and I carried that later then into my marriage. I realize now that I married someone who needed me, mm-hmm. and that's what I do. And I didn't realize, of course, that at the time we had a good marriage for a lot of years, mm-hmm. raised a couple of great kids. It was my biggest priority in life is to keep my kids on track. And I did that. Thank God that worked and they're fine. Because <laughs> uh, you yeah. never know. It's hard know. these days. But anyway, so I was codependent in my marriage and was always trying to fix him as well. And then it was later. So another 20 years of that, that I finally figured it out. And the marriage did end long, another whole story. But then I went through a series, a season of depression when I was had to kind of figure myself out mm-hmm. and recreate my own identity. And I know you mentioned that as well. Like, okay, who am I now? Rediscover myself. Right. So it's been a long lot of work, but I know now once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. So then I realized how much I was codependent and how I, that affected so many of my other relationships as well. Right. So a few things that you said, I want to highlight because I just resonate with them so much. When you said from a young age, like you, you knew being the good girl or that's how you got your attention, right? That's how you got your needs met. And I totally relate with that. That's exactly how I was. And I, I, I'm thinking about it now. Maybe that was the dynamic because my brother was like the quote unquote, like hard one or, you know, bad kid, like people, you know, obviously I don't think there's any bad children, but back then it was like, oh, he's, he's the bad one. She's the good one, you know? Right. The rebel, and, rebellious, whatever they call it. Yeah, them. exactly. And I remember just like trying so hard in school and getting good grades and pleasing my teachers and wanting to make sure that I made everyone else happy. And and I know I kind of never put two and two together till you just said that. Like that was how I got attention. That is how I got my needs met. And 
I have always looked at it as a positive thing because it, I was doing good things, right? I was getting good grades, but it really wasn't healthy, right? Like, Yes, to, to, I mean, to a degree, we all do that, right? And we right. want to get, you know, the praises like good job, mm -hmm. but that's how we become <clears throat> codependent is if we're in a dysfunctional household yeah. and we're doing everything we can to help keep the peace. And in fact, I have, I wrote it down for what I say. I say it's an codependency has to do with an unhealthy attachment to another, traditionally someone who was or is addicted to something. And that's be kind of an addiction too, to people. Yeah. And it's when we lose ourselves, but we do learn that in childhood. And then we do the things to get the love and attention. And then we become dependent on them as well. And so that's why it's codependency. And that's when it becomes unhealthy, right? Mm -hmm. Is when we start to lose ourselves to satisfy someone else's needs. Yeah. And then it can carry into all, all kinds of different other areas. Right. Life. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, moving into your marriage and and really just trying to be the fixer, right? And and help fix him. And that led you to be codependent as well. It sounds like you spent a lot of years focusing on other people. Right. You know? And then so what happened when you started focusing on on yourself? Well, it took a while to really realize it was a need. I mean, my life kind of had to, I don't want to say implode. It's, mm -hmm. but I had to, when I went through this clinical depression and could barely function, I had toddlers at home at the time, a two-year-old, oh, a five-year-old, wow. I could barely take care of them. And I knew something was wrong. I remember rocking in a chair mm -hmm. and my husband was like, well, you're kind of scaring me what's going on. And I didn't realize it then, but I was, it was a clinical depression. I finally got, it took a few years because I'd never been depressed. That's just not my character. Never have really been. I mean, now mm -hmm. I know what it feels like. And maybe that's all part of the reason I went through that. Cause now that's mm -hmm. part of my story and I understand it, but I just, I started going to therapy. I started praying, spending more time with God yoga. I went through a teacher training. I just did all these things to kind of learn. And then I realized the depth of it. And, and it was, some of it was grieving. My brother died. I didn't grieve him really because I was trying to fix, help my parents and trying to, we had little kids. So I was trying to make everything like, oh, isn't life great? The little kids and it's all enjoyable. Well, yeah. I wasn't grieving because I wanted them to, I wanted to help them. Yeah. Um, so that caught up with me and is probably the root of the depression, but all mm -hmm. those other things started to become clear and how it affected and, and it started to affect the rest of my relationships as well. Sure. Wow. That's interesting too. You put yourself on the back burner, even when your brother passed away, you were putting your parents first and your kids. And that's, I know that there's so many other people out there like this, you know, that, that really just don't put, especially moms, you know, of course. A lot of moms right. are in this situation, but let's talk about, you know, addiction and what that, you know, in a family dynamic, like you said that you're, you know, it, what, what word did you use? It basically like stirs up your whole entire home. It takes over everyone's life. Can you kind of dive more into that? Like what it looks like? Just the lies. I mean, anyone who's loved an addict has been lied to, manipulated. You love your person. You want to help them. You want to believe them. Yeah. And they be, can become so skilled at manipulating. My mom went for it and I did too, but then it came to a point where I started, became the adult in the house yeah. and saying to my parents, like, why are you letting this happen? Why are you letting him use your car? He just wrecked his, or why are you giving him money 
he's going to go buy drugs with it, things like that. I mean, another story, I remember driving him, I was probably 16. He was high. I just got my license. It was his car. And I was driving him through, we called it the projects, a neighborhood not too far away. And I was like, why are we here? Our parents, mm -hmm. you know, we were never really went over there. We weren't supposed to. And he was trying to score. And I said, I'm going to, oh my gosh, like, no, I'm not taking you there. Yeah. And he said, let me out. And he, you know, really high. And he said, let me out. And I go, no, I'm driving. No, we're not going to your dealers. We yeah. open the door. He was going to jump out. Oh and of course I stopped the car and freaked out. And, but that kind of incidents can happen a lot when you have an addict in the home and mm -hmm. what, you know, they, their priority is getting whatever it is they need. And I get that. It's not a choice anymore. That's yeah. when it's a disease and they're just struggling to survive, you know, the next moment, the next day. But those kinds of in incidents has happened a lot. And so the whole family is uprooted mm -hmm. when he crashes yet another car, when he goes to jail. I remember you talking about being in the courtroom when your mm -hmm. brother's being sentenced. I did that. Visiting him in prison. I mean, it's a family trip now to go to a prison. I mean, that's not your everyday mm -hmm. normal experience. So those kinds of things. And it does affect yeah. who you become. Absolutely, it does. My th Those were my family trips growing up. <laughs> Driving to CYA, like the, you know, prison for under 18. But even though some of them were over 18, yeah, I totally relate with that. But now looking back, I'm like, it was so fun, you know? Like, to me at that time, I thought it was so fun. And with my mom driving and seeing him, you know, it was like we could we stayed the night in a hotel and then we'd wake up and go see him and then stay a night the night again and see him on Sunday. And we always just had the best time. Like we had picnics there. Me and my mom did like a dance contest in one. And like, it was just like family time. That was our quality family time, you know, and he was there for like three years. So we did it. We, my mom literally went every single weekend. Oh my gosh. And yeah, it was, wow. And when he got moved to Stockton, eight hours, we went every other weekend. So we would drive like eight hours. And it was just the things our moms did, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. We went to Vacaville. I'm sure you're familiar with that, this, uh -huh. this area. I mean, he was in three times he was put away, which is sad, right? Because so I yeah. lost the last eight years before he died because he was in and out of prison. Yeah. But again, with the addiction, when he was sober and in prison, even though I think he was chipping, I know he was in the end, but when he was in prison, he was so lovely and mm -hmm. so thankful and appreciated our family and everything our parents ever did for us. And I mean, he's just a good person, truly, and sensitive person. I think that's also part of the reason drugs became a coping mechanism for him. Mm hmm having high expectations at home. I mean, you know, we can analyze things, things and try to figure it out, but it's just, he got away, but never for too long. But yeah, back to your question, it was just, it's just a lot of turmoil. Again, the lies and, you know, the money and can I have money for this? And, and then one day he said, he said, you guys don't get it. He said, I'm sick when you guys think I'm high when I'm doing miserably, he said, that's when I'm sick. It's when I'm mm -hmm. not. And at this right. point, it was a heroin addict. So you learn a lot. Yeah, things. because that that come down makes them, you know, animals at times. They'll do they'll do anything to get it. And that's usually when they're mean and nasty and say yes. every hurtful word to you in the book. And like for my brother, when he was high, he would just disappear mm -hmm. and I, no one would ever hear from him. So I wanted to talk about what you said about when they're in jail 
and how they're like the nicest people when they're in there and they're so loving and caring. And I stuck to that for so many years, Liz, where I thought that was my brother. That's the guy that I love, you know, that. And I do know that there's a side to him that I love, but I also feel like there's always an angle Mm -hmm. when they're like that. Even when they're, I don't, I mean, just from my personal experience, it's like, of course they're nice to you. They're in jail. They want you to send money or they want you to do something for them on the outside, you know? So I fell for it for a lot of years, but now I'm just like, yeah, I, I can Is he see sober now your brother. Well, that's a great question. He actually just got released again this month, but I set a strong boundary that I'm not going to try to build a relationship with him until he's in a program and he's six months clean mm-hmm. because for years we've been going through getting out, doing okay. You know, I let him live with me and my whole family for a time period and that didn't go well at all. I bet. Yeah. But you know, me and my husband were trying to help him out. You know, same thing. My mom's given him vehicles, given him thousands of dollars to get on his feet when he's gotten out and then something will happen and he ends up going right back to meth. He, you know, he doesn't have the tools to cope with life, honestly. Right. He's just always used meth as his coping mechanism. And uh, last time I talked to him, I said, you know, I'm only going to ask one thing of you this time. And he's like, what, sis? And I'm like, I just want you to start therapy when you get out, you know, because he has a a lot of childhood trauma. And there's a lot of things that led them to start using drugs. You know, what were you what were you numbing? What were you trying to forget about? You know, and I know there's a lot. And to do the work like you've done, I've done right. Exactly to figure out what's going on or whatever it is we need to adjust. I do believe that recovery, whatever it is, whatever, whether it's AA or Celebrate Recovery or whatever the program is, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I know people 30 years later still go to meetings. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a lot of years, a heroin addict, not too far from me. I know mean, it was a grown man with a family, but it turned out after Brad died, we found out he was a heroin addict and he went to meetings for probably 25 years before well, was- he Pardon me? While he was using or after? No, after. Oh, I was like, wait. (laughs) Every week for decades. Yeah. It keeps that community going for you. It shows, you know, you're still hearing those stories of people coming right off the street. And yeah, some people really connect with that. And I totally respect that. My mom went through a 13-step program with the Salvation Army. It's been gosh, how long has it been? Like 20 something years now. And um, her drug of choice was meth also. So the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, mm-hmm. but she, it changed her whole entire life. Like I was, a, I was like 16, 17 at the time. And my mom and brother were actually using together at that point. And I was, you know, that was just a terrible time in my life where I was just like, what the hell is going on? You know, like I couldn't I Drugs just make people do the craziest things, you know. Hopefully, my mom doesn't get mad that I just said that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you Um, know, and I don't, I don't think it's their intent to be hurtful or harmful or steal. I mean, I think you know when Brad would sell my mom's silver and my dad, you know, silver that she had would inherited or something. I don't know, but the whatever that got at her wedding, or you know, different things, jewelry he'd pawn. And she didn't have fancy stuff, but nonetheless, <clears throat> I don't think you wanted to hurt her, but yeah, no, like you said, it just it. happened. Yeah. And I know her, her past wreckage, she still carries so much guilt around that. I'm also encouraging her like to do some work herself so she can let that go. You know, mm-hmm. she feels pretty responsible for him and his addiction and she's not, you know, she's, right. she's really not. Right. But anyway, yeah. So I, I love that 
you have that story of someone that stuck with AA after all those years. And because some people need that, you know, they really do. Well, somehow you need to peel back the layers. Yeah. And that can take your peel back the artichoke, the onion, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. but get to the root of you. Absolutely. I did that with codependency with, like I said, your therapy, yoga, God, I had to peel back myself and mm-hmm. realize like, what is going on? Yeah. It got to where I was super controlling, mm. super FOMO, super micromanaging and this was after I was grieving in that season of depression because that was how I coped. And it mm. was a, a relationship addiction, which they call codependency and just leaning on people, needing people. And one year we went to, I arranged, we had little kids and we didn't have any plans for 4th of July. And we lived in a community where it was kind of a big fun deal. And I ended up with four plans because I couldn't stand <laughs> the thought of not having a plan. I remember telling a friend that let's go, or we were making a plan to go, I think, see someone speak or something. And I said, okay, when we get there, we're going to sit here and we'll sit here. And then our husbands will sit here and then you'll sit there. And she goes, stop micromanaging me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I truly was. And so that's when it became so paralyzing mm-hmm. in my life that I started to know I needed to change. And once I see it though, and I think this is true, like denial of like, I'm an addict or I'm an alcoholic. Of course we deny it until we no longer can. And that's to the point I got, like I said, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And that's when the healing can begin. That's, that's when I started making these steps and it's been a season and a lot, fortunately marriage ended as not as a result of that. But as I, as I left the marriage, it became even more clear to me how I had been codependent. Yeah. Fixing him and making excuses for why he couldn't show up for a vacation or a dinner or whatever it was, because he was always at work and that's how he patched the holes inside him. Right. Is a work addiction. So we all do that, right? We all have things. I call it patching holes with whatever. Yeah. Whatever's your thing. Yeah, I've heard of them as being called buffers, whether it's like alcohol, drugs, you know, gambling, work, you know, micromanaging, like whatever we can do to try to fulfill something in us. But that that you really need to like eventually, like you said, once you see it, like, you know, the work that has to be done and like why why this is happening, why this is Mm-hmm. keeps occurring in your life you know it's it's all little coping mechanisms that we develop and we use to keep us safe you know our, our ego has kept us safe for so long with these things that it's really hard to break th- free from that and that's why I'm just so happy to meet incredible women like you that have and and have really pulled back the layers and did the work to see like who they actually are and and hold themselves accountable. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've had to go through the same thing and I'm, we're still peeling. It's like a never ending process, right? <laughs> right. Oh, I think we're always in recovery. Your credit. I mean, it takes courage to be willing to do the work and a lot of people never do. Right. I mean, they'll spend their whole lives struggling and we're mm-hmm. sure we know people that, yeah, just struggling with whatever it is. And codependency is a hard one because you can just be a nice person, giving, yeah. loving, pleasing, and it's not a problem until it becomes a problem, like yep. any addiction, and then you're willing to change it. But it's a tricky one because most people won't admit it. They're mm-hmm. in denial and that's just they're coping and that's what works. But to label it, it kind of has a negative connotation until people really understand it and then they can see it in themselves and go, oh, wow, that's yeah. me. I'm, 
and it can start hurting relationships when you get to be too much for other people yeah, for out sure. of your like need. That anxious attachment style, mm -hmm. definitely. If someone was listening right now, right now and they're thinking, am I codependent? Like what types of things could they think about or what kind of characteristics should they look for to really see if they are? Actually, I have a thing on my website, you can sign up and I have a thing that is how to tell if you're being loving and oh, enabling codependent and why it matters <laughs> because we do fool ourselves a lot of times. Like I said, if you, and codependent people are actually, we get stuff done. Yeah. We say no on behalf of somebody else. We get things done. We do research. We make phone calls. We're actually really skilled. And I don't know if you know Melody Beattie, who wrote Codependent No More. Who's, I do. She says that people are, you know, super skilled. Another thing, and I'll get to that, what your point in a minute, is one another thing she says is that people, as they peel back the layers, people in sobriety usually find, and it might be seven years later, in sobriety, again, peeling back the layers that they realize mm -hmm. they're actually codependent underneath. Yeah. And that's so... No surprise, but that makes total sense. Yeah. So it's, I think, helping other people when you haven't been asked. That's mm. one thing saying yes when you mean no, because you don't want people to not like you. And again, it's, it's fine to a degree, but it's when you lose yourself yeah. on behalf of other people that it gets to be unhealthy. Your relationships are out of balance. Mm -hmm. In fact, in my workshop, I have two circles. And I say, well, they overlap. Like, where do you overlap with your person? Some people are, I mean, you know, there's a little overlap in a marriage and a partnership. There should be. Yeah. But when you're eclipsed 75% by both of you focusing on that person, you know, you're out of balance. That's a great visual. I can actually, you know, picture that. And it's, it's perfect. I love that. So gosh, I'm like thinking now to all these times, I, I definitely was codependent. I might still be a little bit codependent, honestly, but <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely, you know, growing stronger independently. I'm saying no more. I remember, you know, my husband used to always tell me like, you say yes to everyone. Like it's okay to say no. Like I would be like, yeah, I'll take all the, I'll give it this person a ride and th they can stay the night. And I would just overwhelm myself, myself. Mm -hmm. And and at the end of the night, I'd be, I'd be thinking like, why did I say yes? Like, I really didn't want to do this. And I was always kind of like going against my intuition, you know? Mm -hmm. So I always was a big yes person, perfectionist. Also like the the planning and the micromanaging, I can totally see that in myself too. My best friend used to always say like, you don't have to plan everything. Let's just let the night flow. You know, it's okay. I'm like, okay. Like I had to really like take a deep breath and be like, all right, let's let it flow. Oh my gosh. I still struggle with that. Yes. <laughs> Me too. And like our last vacation, I, we went five days, like at all inclusive and I didn't, I wanted to plan like every day, but I was like, okay, I'm only going to plan one day and the rest we're going to just relax and do whatever, you know, and it actually worked out really well because I feel like having some people really like that structure, which I understand, but sometimes it's like stressful because you're like right. trying to meet deadlines, but you're on vacation. You know, I, right. I didn't want to have to do that. Well, and I think I did that with my kids would probably tell you they're grown now, like 27 and 30, but they would tell you if we asked, and I don't know that I want to, that <laughs> I was that mom and we yeah. would have plans and they'd be, can we just kind of let it unfold? But I didn't want anyone to get bored. And so I always had a plan or even a backup. And that's also, I think that might just be the mom in me is we'll have on a vacation, like all these neat things. Well, nobody knows that I'm behind the scenes planning it and making sure we have the <laughs> reservation and, you know, Oh, why don't we go here? Well, of course I had a, you know, not always, yeah. but I might've already had it figured out, but maybe I just don't need to talk about it. That's so, a good idea. 
like yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I, I'm curious what you just said. You're like, you said, I didn't want anyone to get bored. Is that something that you still like think about? Or do you think that was, it's okay for kids to get bored or? I, no, I hundred percent. It's okay. But that was more my issue. Gotcha. Okay. Right. Yeah. That was part of it. Mm-hmm. Trying to make sure they were happy all the time. I, I, I still do that. I'm going to be honest. Like I let my kids be bored, but at the same time, I'm always like, Oh, it's the weekend. I have to make it super fun. And you know, I want to, yeah, I think I have Great some, thing, yeah. I have some, maybe I need to join your workshop, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> You're <laughs> like, welcome. Now You're I'm like breaking myself down. Like, Oh my gosh, I still like have these tendencies to be that way, you know? And it's, it's just like innately in me and it actually well, takes- it's fine. Like I said, it's an, I would, you know, it's fine until it's not. Yeah. So, because I mean, being giving and loving a marriage or a relationship is of course what we want. And that's mm-hmm. what makes a good marriage, right? If we're looking out for each other, but it's when you sacrifice yourself too much and that's, yeah. Yeah. I say when you lose yourself or, you know, when you're out of balance, that's when it's not healthy. Yeah. And because that'll catch up with you mm-hmm. and it'd eventually be frustrating or lead to something, some kind of frustration or anger or a wedge in the relationship. Like yeah. That's happened to friendships where we try so hard to connect or expect people to show up for us and demand they show up for us, things like that. Well, that's not healthy. Now you've got, and you may not even see it when it's happening, but you might notice like, gosh, people are pulling away from me. Mm -hmm. Well, that might be why. Yeah, totally. What What would you say to someone who loves someone who is codependent? Like, how do you, you know, really navigate a relationship with someone who has a codependent personality? I think I talk about in my workshop, recognizing roles, letting go and embracing change. And the first thing is recognizing roles. And so I would help someone to see that, Mm -hmm. maybe give examples or help them to see where they are being codependent, where it's affecting things. And so light bulbs, they start to see it or things getting, relationships getting affected. They might go, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. But again, they have to admit it before they're willing to make any change like anything else. Right. And, and then there are, you know, there are books. I talk about it. Other people talk about it, but they're therapy. Definitely. I know they see that a lot. And it's, again, people usually don't know why, but they yeah. finally get therapy and then they start to learn your codependent and it starts to make sense. And so once you start to see it, mm-hmm. that it's, you know, a lot easier to take the steps to get healthy, but it is a process. Yeah. Uh, you know, the boundaries, having boundaries, saying no, and it's uncomfortable at times, mm-hmm. but it gets easier. Like everything else, the more you do it, the more, and you have success. And then it's like, oh, okay, this worked. I can do this. And yeah. it itself. I was kind of thinking it from a different angle with like, let's just say, you know, a husband and a wife, for example, the wife is super codependent and she's, you know, it's very obvious to the husband. What are ways, what's things that he can do or he can say to try to like help her or like help her see that, you know, these codependent tendencies, do you have any advice for, for that? Yeah, I would go ahead. Suggest he just say, stop. Let's think about this. If he recognizes it in my marriage, we were both codependent. Oh, interesting. And I didn't know that really then, but now I see it so clearly. That was my next question. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He was made work as priority, like I said before, and that took priority over anything else. Like somebody Mm -hmm. might with drugs or me with people with relationships. 
And he sacrificed a lot of things in his life in order to meet that need, including right. not being there for his family at times because, and I don't fault him for it because he didn't know that either. He does now. Yeah. But I would say if someone, a husband sees a wife who's being codependent, and if he recognizes it mm-hmm. or is educated somehow now to say, okay, let's stop, let's consider, let's take a look at this. And here's what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what my husband has said to me many times. So I was just curious, like, is that the right way? But he, you know, he doesn't know it, but he does a lot of things right. (laughs) Even when, (laughs) if he didn't know, like, the term codependent, he basically has told me, like, you're, you're codependent, you know, like, you're people pleasing everyone, like, you have to put yourself first, or even just like your family, you know, like, so many people spread themselves so thin, like, I was for, I'm just going to use myself as an example. Like I was team parent for like all three of my kids, little league teams. I was also on the board. I also, you know, was a foster parent. Like I was just like, where's the time for Charlotte? And even just like Charlotte and her family, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was, I was trying to like make all these other people happy and like present myself a certain way. Like I got this, I'm on top of everything. You know what I mean? Like super. But like you just you burn out after a while and you're like, okay, right. this is this is too much. I can't do this. Well, but you do it because it feeds something in you. Yeah. We all do things because it serves us. Yes. And, so, and I'm sure you didn't recognize it at the time. But and you probably got a lot of accolades and we're doing it all, keeping all the balls in the air, showing up mm-hmm. for everyone. But right, like you said, then it became unhealthy and was taking yeah. us burning you out, it sounded like or yeah. There, there was a good friend of mine during that time period in my life. And I remember she posted on Facebook. She was like, I'm saying no to like almost everything now. And and I'm not going to be a team parent anymore. And I'm not going to like be on the board. And she just like stopped everything so she could focus on her family and like get herself back because she was doing that. And I think sometimes, yeah, people hit this brick wall where they're like, I'm giving, 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 giving. And like, it's time to receive and and just give to those select few for, for whatever time period that, that you really need to nurture those relationships. So. Right. Decide your priorities. And a lot of this, I think works itself out in time. I'm older than you. And uh, so I think we come to a lot of realizations as we age by experience, by losing relationships, whatever the case may be. Yeah. So I think that's natural, but if someone is willing to help us recognize it and help us make those changes, like I said, letting go, embracing change, because what I contend is if you're so focused on other people, you're mm-hmm. not able to fulfill your own purpose Yeah. because you're putting every, and you know, maybe that's part of the escape, but what, what is, what should you be doing in life for you or your family versus the rest Absolutely. of the world because it's feeding you, serving you? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, now that I've been alcohol free for a year, it's, I've had a ton of realizations that that was my escape for, you know, years. I mean, I started drinking at a really young age, but it didn't really spiral until like the last year or so. So I totally, totally get that. And then as soon as that, that escape is taken, you're like, okay, you're just sitting with yourself. Like now what, you know, now I guess I, I got to, dig in and do the work and, you know, life happens and you, there's nothing to grab to try to numb out. You know, it's like, you just, you learn how to cope and that's exactly what I want my brother to do. I want him, you know, like I went through the same type of thing and I'm not meth, but you know, like 
different things, you know, different things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think a lot of gamers who are addicted, yeah. Hoarding, food can be an addiction, sex, yes. gambling. I mean, all the, just a lot of different ways people yeah. are filling up and not dealing with the hard emotions. I'm so I mean, glad you said that. Busy. I was busy all the time as I, well, both of us busy all the time. And that distracted me from dealing mm -hmm. with the heart from sitting with myself. Like you just said. Yep. Yeah. It's crazy because right when that time period started in my life where I was going to really just embark on this personal, like rediscovery or actually like first time really discovering who I was. I got a job where I just sat at a desk and I checked people in and it was super easy. Like I'm used to these, you know, case managing jobs that are, you know, pretty demanding and I'm always on the go, always talking to people, always, you know, coordinating something. And that one, I was just like, do, do, do for like, you know, nine months. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to take this opportunity to like work on myself because I have so much time while I'm sitting here. That's when I, hopefully my, my old boss isn't listening, but that's <laughs> when I, you know, joined my first program and I, and I would sit there and watch the videos on my phone and I would take notes and I had so much time. I was blessed with that. Like mm -hmm. that would have never happened, you know, like in, in any other situation. So it was definitely like the perfect timing for me to get that type of job. And, and I was just able to sit with myself and learn about myself. And, and I was like, a rock star at that program because I wanted to like peel back the layers. I wanted to know what was going on and you know, what my trauma from my childhood, how, how it was affecting me now. So yeah, it's not easy. It's super difficult, you know? And, but like you said, like, once you, once you see it, you can't unsee it. I feel like I can't wait to keep going through these realizations, you know, like mm -hmm. just in the last couple of years, I've maybe from like, you know, late thirties, you start kind of recognizing certain things about yourself and like kind of any of the, for me anyway, I'm like, okay, without alcohol, this is who I am. And, and I'm not just a mom. I'm not just a wife or case manager, which is my profession right now, but I'm actually like Charlotte and I can do things for myself, like have a podcast or, you know, read books and, and, you know, listen to podcasts and just grow and learn. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely yeah. beautiful. And I can't and that we have to... the opportunity to do that. I mean, I'm so yes. grateful, right? Like, yeah, free country opportunity to be able to do explore all the, you know, with the podcasts that are available, therapy that's available. There's so many resources now there that really people are. want to get help. They can get the help they need. And Absolutely. if they're willing to do the work, like I said, my husband was a workaholic. Well, that's how he escaped his stuff. Busy all the time. That's how I escaped my stuff. But when you pause, like you did, then you can go, huh? Like what's really, what's going on here? And yeah, yeah work on getting healthy. I like that. Took a pause. Yeah, it definitely was. I learned all about manifestation and, and just went down so many rabbit holes during that time. <laughs> it was great though. And I, I love how you said like our age difference, you know, it actually excites me because I see someone in front of me that is beautiful and who like has her stuff together and is, you know, doing beautiful things in this world. And yeah. you just said like how many more realizations you've had, you know, and I'm like, wow, like I still have so much more to look forward to and, and more epiphanies and more growth, you know? Right. Well, and that's part of, I think what makes life special, right? If we're not growing, we're dying. So I right. want to continue growing. So let's talk a little bit about the workshops that you offer. I'm, I'm curious, like how many people do you usually have in them? How do they run? Kind of break it down for me. Well, I've been doing it 
where I live. And I like about 12 to 24 people because we have a journal, we go through it. I do a lot of talking, but I also ask them to explore. I have questions that helps them to self-reflect. And that's where a lot, I just literally see light bulbs go off when people are doing this, but I'm going to change it. I'm actually right now developing it, recreating it into a digital workshop because I want to be able to reach more people and seems to resonate real well with people in recovery because they've already admitted. Yeah. They've face their denial and are willing to recognize and make change. So I think I can make it available then to more people in recovery or where, and I'd also speak to groups mostly in recovery because Mm -hmm. again, they're not in denial anymore. Yeah. And it's hard to reach people who aren't willing yet to admit they have a problem, but so yeah, I do. They go through this one's a couple hours and when I make it digital, probably be three different sessions, but it asks them maybe like who you were as a, writes a couple of sentences about who you were as a kid mm-hmm. and now write a couple of sentences about who you are today. And let's take a look at that. And so they're a handful more than that, but different questions that nothing that's uncomfortable, yeah. but it just makes you pause and take a look and go, Oh, and then while I'm talking about my story and codependency, then people can resonate like, Oh my gosh, like I see that that's me. Yeah. And so the light bulbs start to go off. And it just prompt them through some things they can do differently to begin recognizing their roles and mm-hmm. letting go and then embracing change in order to fulfill their own purpose. Yeah, it's actually, I love it. I love seeing, like I said, light bulbs go off and people recognized it. And then from there, they can continue to do the work. But at that point, if we open that up, then they have the opportunity to continue to get healthy. Yeah. That's so it's in person. That's cool. That's like these days it's rare to have in-person things. I feel like everything is online now. So I, I would highly encourage you to open that up to digital because you'll probably have people flooding in for that, you know, three-day workshop. Like I already want to sign up, honestly, (laughs) because the same thing happened. (laughs) Yeah. The same thing happened when you started talking about all of it, like all these light bulbs started going off. I'm like, wait, I, I definitely see the a past version of myself like that. And the, but there's still things that I notice that, you know, I still might do that could just be little areas I need to keep cleaning up, you know, mm-hmm. and, and kind of shine a light on. So thank you. And for I still that. have moments. I mean, I kind of laugh at myself now when I'm trying the other day, a guy was backing golf carts into there's a zoo, not far in the park by my house, not far away. Mm-hmm. There's a truck full of golf carts and he was backing in. This was actually a while ago and he was backing in and I saw him thinking, well, why is he going there? The golf course is across the street. <laughs> and I went, sir, excuse me, like golf courses over here. And he goes, oh, I'm delivering these to the zoo. They use them. In, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, like really Liz, you're here telling this delivery driver where to take it. I mean, it just makes you laugh. So the little things like that still happen. I honestly and I can do laugh stuff at like that and too. recognize, okay, I don't need to fix the world. Not my deal. Yeah. Stay in my lane. Or just like little things will eat at you until you say something. You're like, oh my God, like I have to tell them. Yeah, I would, I probably would have maybe said the same thing. I don't know. And it sounds <laughs> like we're pretty similar in that area. Right. Yeah, I totally <laughs> um, see that. And I also have it in my newsletter. I have, it's an advice column, Dear Ms. Liz, where people write in and That's talk right. about, like, ask a question. How do I handle this situation? Or this is what's going on or this addict in my life. Well, someone was suicidal, things like that. And it's that hard stuff. Awesome. When you're dealing with someone in addiction, it is, I mean, these, you know, I mean, dealing with someone and how do you respond to them and how do you handle yeah. it? And you love them. And it's just, it's hard stuff. 
It really is. And this is what's really driving me to start my first group coaching container for families of addicts and a separate one for alcoholics, because I feel like they're a little bit different. And I want, you know, the groups to be able to relate on the same topic because it is, it is so hard and it, it really takes, I feel like personal work that you have to do to, to break free from, you know, you feel like you're shackled to that person when you love them. And um, so I would love to have you on as a guest speaker during that. And if anyone listening, if you're interested and you have an addict or alcoholic in your life, please reach out to me. I can put you on the waiting list. I'm still kind of putting things together right now, but it's going to be eight weeks and it's going to be transformative. That's for sure. It's going to be a lot of healing work. And then also, you know, like you said, you know, how to respond, what do we need to do um, in those situations, like real life stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, yeah no, there's... I'd love to be part of that. And <clears throat> Heck yeah, yeah. I think that's great. Such a yeah. need. I would love to have you spend, like do a whole little section on codependency and what that looks like. Because I mean, that's, I'm sure like 99% of the people will, will be suffering from that. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so thankful that you joined me today and all my listeners. I'm going to include your newsletter link in the show notes. I hope everyone gets a chance to look at it. And if you have questions for Liz, write to her. What a beautiful way to connect with the community. That's awesome. I love that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I really enjoy it. I love doing this work. I mean, it's defined my life. And now, which maybe it's codependent in itself. Now I want to help people with this. But I actually believe it's my purpose at this point in my life. Yeah. And like you said, if it's not harming you, like it's still considered healthy, then you're in the clear. We're okay. I'm good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you. Really been a pleasure. Absolutely. I hope to have you back on. Take care. Thank you. Night. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. If you loved what you heard, please leave me a review on iTunes, share it with your friends and tag me on social media. You can find me on Instagram at healinganddealing.podcast and by joining our Facebook group. Be sure to follow me for inspiration, tips, and exciting news about upcoming episodes. If you are interested in working with me one-on-one or have questions or comments about what you heard today, please email me at healinganddealing.podcast at gmail.com. Your support means the world to me. I'm so grateful to be sharing my voice and the voices of others with you. Now, let's keep healing and dealing. We'll see you in the next episode.